Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. I'm Chris Harris, that's at Harris Monkey. I'm here with Edward Lovett, at Edward Lovett. And I'm here with Dave Edmonston, that is at Petrol Ted. And that last name, that handle will give you clues to who he is. Now I'm excited about this because Dave founded Piston Heads. And Piston Heads is, I think the biggest single influence on the car media area, certainly in Northern Europe, of the last 20 years. So, Dave, welcome to our podcast. And please allow me to now prime you for information about this (laughs) incredible beast that you created. So, from the start, what was Piston Heads? And was it Piston Heads from the very start? Uh, No, it wasn't. Uh, It was born in December 98 as Petrol Heads Co. UK. Yeah. Um. I'd recently got into the TVR scene. I'd bought a S4C. I uh, had that a few months. And this was obviously around about the time the internet was going mainstream. I worked in IT, as did most of the other TVR owners I, I knew at the time. Um, and I played with the internet a bit, put some stuff up, as everyone did at the time. You sort of create your own personal website, and mine was car-related. And I... Just thought I could see a sort of bit of a window of an idea in that my frustration was I couldn't get car news yeah. quickly enough. I've been reading Autocar for 30 odd years now. That was my fix. I'd get the monthlies. Uh, I'd be on various discussion groups about TVR and that was becoming my fix. So there already were discussion groups, were there, for TVR in 98? Email discussion groups. So, email discussion yeah, groups. Yeah, so you, you email to a group and you have a discussion with... 150 people about... You're not doing much to alter the opinion that, that car owners, TVR owners, are a murky bunch. And <laughs> <laughs> and that that was the medium at the time. Yeah. Um, the web was obviously slow. Um, we were still dial-up then, so 
email was a suitable medium. Yeah. Um, and we'd have the same issues and dilemmas and fallouts on email as we do on Twitter these days, um, all, albeit a bit slower. Um, so I, I thought I saw a bit of an opportunity to do something. I saw the domain name was available and it was very TVR-centric, but my thoughts were this can be about car ownership in general. So sort of speed cameras and whatever were coming in at the time. So there's a lot of sort of topical stuff relating to fast cars, uh, sports cars in general. Uh, so whilst TVR were a very good source of interesting news because they were doing a lot of interesting stuff at the time and weren't particularly good at keeping secrets, um, that was the perfect sort of niche to start with and then broaden out from there. So you, so you like all new ideas, you start off by thinking there's something I need here and no one's delivering it yes. for me. And you had a technical knowledge. So what's your background in terms of IT and skills in with, with computers and stuff? I'm a bit of a nerd. I've, I started playing with computers when I was 12. My dad bought a ZX81 um, and I was absolutely so intrigued by the, the whole thing. Uh, so I taught myself to program, spent my teenage years in a dark room writing games and etc. Uh, and then that became a job, 18, left school. Uh, went to work for a, a teacher who'd actually left school and set up a software house. And so I spent 12 years uh, working for a variety of software houses and uh, financial institutions, and I ended up at Lehman Brothers. So so by the time you're messing about with um, the idea of a, of a website for TVRs and fast cars. Are you a successful man already? Would you? Would, so, is it a hobby, or are you, or is this you're looking at this as a, as a means to to make your break? Uh, it's interesting because I worked for a lot of small companies, and I'd seen the stress the owners went through there, which probably sort of put me off the whole entrepreneurial journey for many years. Yeah. Um, and I think fate lends a hand away. I I had a good job. I was working in the city, um, so I put money aside I could fall back on if necessary but also the project I was on went a bit pear-shaped I ended up in a dead-end role while all this was going on which both frustrated me massively and gave me time to do it on the sly at work as well uh, so I'd be doing pe petrol heads in the evenings I was going to the race meets the weekends I'd go up to Knock Hill and watch the Tuscans come back write it all up go to work the following day keep it ticking over watched a little bit of traffic that there was um, and then it got to a point in August 99 I'd got a few sponsors on the site a few dealers were paying to be on there and yeah it had a ripple of interest and a sort of steady couple of hundred people a day using it um, and I asked for a day off to do a track day and I, like I say I was on this dead-end project and there were only three of us on it and my boss was out and he said, oh, no, we can't possibly leave so-and-so on his own all day. I was like, really? <laughs> so I resigned the following day, um, as, which is quite an impetuous thing to do for me. I'm, I'm pretty safe and risk-averse. But at the time, I had fun set aside. I had skills I could reapply at the drop of a hat. I'd have no problem getting a job if I needed to. I was young, free and single, small mortgage. So that, I'll, I'll give it six months and see how it goes. Uh, thinking, oh, this would be quite easy because I'd, I'd had dealers approaching me for sponsorship. So you've not got a sales funnel at this point. You, have you, sales have you, funnel. Have you, have you gone out <laughs> and actively sold what it, it was called Petroheads? Was it already? It was. I'll come to that. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't. I was basically waiting for people to knock on the door. But you, you had a forum at this stage and uh, classifieds or not? 
Oh, no, no. No, no, no. No, uh, no you was, said you had d- dealers paying to be on the site. This was purely news yep. uh, for a good few months. The first seeds of the forum were emerging. I was using a thing called Front Page, which the nerds will appreciate, um, to publish the site. And at that time, initially, I just saw it as a flat publishing medium. Yeah. Um, the whole idea of interactivity hadn't really occurred to me. So um, I presume a couple of the TVR dealers had said to you, this is quite nice. Yeah, it's well, nice. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Henley Heritage approached me and said, you know, we'll give you a few quid to keep things yep. ticking over. Yeah. And we'll stick a petrol heads banner across the wind, the uh, windscreen of our Tuscan, which is racing at Brands Hatch next week. Yeah. You're up for that. And it is brilliant. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, to see, yeah, he was on telly and, and there it was. And well, you so, exist suddenly, don't yeah. you? Oh, it was, it was brilliant. I was so excited. Um, Did you get the VIP treatment at the Tuscan Challenge? No, well, we'll come on to my relationship with TVR later. But, um, so, yeah, had a few dealers on board. Um, and, yeah, no, there was no sales funnel as such. It was people knocking on my door. So, yes, going back to my point, I, I thought this would be easy. People would seem to want to give me money. So six months down the line, I'll be rolling in and, well, hey, uh, I think it took me four years before I could pay the mortgage properly. Um, and it was a, a long, long journey in the end. Um, eventually it ended the way I dreamed but in the meantime I'd lost all sight of that and thought actually no, I need to knuckle down and just make this work as a business if I don't want to go back to a proper job so it starts out it's just a, a TBR information broadcast stream uh, but with a with a faster car element to yes. it and then and then and all communication is still through an email group at what point because the piston heads for me became a global sort of fast car community forum it was the forum that did it, it that's what that's yes. what gave the number so when did that happen uh, a few months in we we started with a, a this sort of front page had a, an option to turn on for a, a crude forum and it was a very ugly sort of threaded thing um so that so the seed of actually okay a bit of interactivity here that that's something a bit more exciting um so i then found a bit of open source software that allowed me to create a basic forum and that's when there's the real light bulb moment came of okay this is interactive so people can obviously post their thoughts whatever have a profile you know once you expand that profile into what cars they might own whatever this all becomes quite interesting um i think yeah once you sort of expand upon that so it became at that moment I realised this is a programming job not a publishing job yeah um, and that's when the real sort of vision started to emerge of what I could do with it um, did you did you um, undertake to design the thing yourself in terms of the way it was or were you just taking templates and stuff you could just bolt in there uh, I eventually ended up writing everything myself I used a couple of bits of open source software to give me a leg up um, but because I wanted the things to integrate, so I wanted people to be able to comment on a news story, which no one was doing back then. Yeah, you know, the, it was all siloed. So you'd have a publishing mechanism, you'd have a forum, and you might have a classifieds, and none of them could ever talk to each other. So yeah. I, I wrote it all so they could talk to each other, so that when you see someone's car advert, you could then drill into their profile and see what you know probably what they've been talking about six months about previously about the car. Um, so you'd get a much richer, you know impression of we could kind of cross-pollinate like. conversations as well yes. couldn't you which was which was always you're quite right thinking about it now i hadn't appreciated that you could comment on a new story which would then feed the into the story, forum which would then, but it would also exist in the forum yes. yeah so mm. 
So, yeah, that was probably sort of 99, round about the time people started saying, oh, Petrolhead, is that are you from the magazine? Like, what magazine? Uh, and so I looked up, there had been six issues of a, a Petrolhead magazine, which had closed earlier that year or the previous year. I Who think. owned that? Cabal Communications or somebody? No, never heard of them. Well, at the time, that, that concerned me. I thought, well, they, I looked it all up and they got a trademark on it. And I thought, well, if I, I'm getting a bit of success here, if it goes anywhere, I don't want to sort of get several years down the line and then they pulled a rug from under me uh, for using their name. So scratched around and bounced many an idea around in a pub and that's when it became Piston Heads. But then we got, um, and we got the logo as well, which, I mean, the name, the name, the logo, the type, the iconography... I mean, well, I'm very fortunate with it. I go. The uh, that great. was offered up by a, a member um, in his lunch hour. You're um, kidding. Several years in, because I'd I'd got some pretty awful uh, sort of iconography and branding initially, um, and then he offered me that logo. So I, you know, if you want to use it, crack on. So did he get a birthday for you? A few years much. later, did he get a pint? I think I bought him a fleece so. <laughs> <laughs> with the logo on. Thank it. you again. Um, so at what point did you realise, because when you're at the coalface of one of these projects, because I've been involved in a couple of these, nothing like as successful as yours, when you're in the coalface, it's quite difficult to see the bigger picture, isn't it? Because you're just fighting what's in front of you rather than thinking what's five yes. years ahead. When did you realise, crikey, this is altering the landscape? I'm not sure there ever was a moment. So like I say, well, like you've just said, you don't realise. Num- I'm still sat in the same room at home doing similar stuff. It's a bit busier. The numbers are bigger. Um, but I also had a, I mean, in terms of raw numbers, I didn't know a lot of the time because I couldn't afford the software to measure it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was, yeah, the free stuff I'd long broken and I couldn't afford the corporate tracking mechanisms to com score and all that sort of yeah, stuff. To yeah, to actually measure. Yes, yeah, so you, you know, I think we finished at just under a million uniques a, a month and 30 million pages or something. And I couldn't measure it. Um, in the end, I obviously had to, but we worked it out. Um, but no, it was a gradual thing. It, it was sort of struggling to make ends meet initially, and then you sort of realize, oh, actually, you know, things are going all right now. And, yeah, go okay, put a bit of money aside for this, that, and the other. And um, there was no one moment. It, it just sort of crept up on me, I think. Were you outsourcing coding help and things like that? No. So you were doing it all alone at this stage? I did stage. all the coding myself. I did all the writing myself initially, and then I started using some freelancers and got an editor in. Um, but I, I never had any employees. That was going to be the sort of next step that I was f- fearful of taking because uh, I worked from home, um, which, again, back in those days wasn't a particularly cool thing to do, so I just sort of hide that from the corporate world. Uh, so, no, I, I did it all myself. And not to say I didn't have a lot of help, the, you know, particularly on the forums. I had a fantastic team of about 20 moderators helping me out there. Um, but they were just part of your initial the, group of email people, were they? they no, the, they, the forums had become quite busy and mature. And I think there was one in, incident, someone rang me while I was out at Silverstone or something. At a something, Someone rang me and said, oh, something's kicking off on the forums. You need to have a look. And yeah, there was no, I think I had a Nokia something phone. I yeah. couldn't look. So I had to stop at a service station on the M40, which had an internet booth. <laughs> And I, I logged in on that and had to sort of delete some threads or something. I thought, okay, I, I need some help here. And so I just approached the sort of the faces in the different forums. Because you, um, knew, you knew who they were, didn't you? Yeah, who, so the people on there, you know, 
all the time. Me. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, and, I, we all, and some of us used to look. So, come on, let's go, the, the forum. I remember, that, that, I, that forum was, uh, was back then was quite a place. So we, when was the first time? We can't mention any names, and I need to try and remember some of the usernames, that oh, were, God, uh, some, of the, some of our mutual friends that appeared on there at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, I, I, I just, just going back to the moderation thing, is that all done just by your friends, users... It was rolling yeah. so, through and looking. So it was a, an evolution. So initially, someone would email me and say, "This is outrageous. Sort it out." Then eventually, we I built a mechanism so you could report a particular thread or a particular yeah. comment, and then that would appear in the moderators forum. And you know, the Porsche forum moderator would say, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I'll do, deal with this. I know him. I'll have a word with him." Or we had a sin bin. We put people in the sin bin, and it ended up, ended up getting quite sophisticated because people would then come back with duplicate accounts yeah. and we had to try and spot them but but nowadays is there technology to to moderate it, it something that it's you sold it a long but, time ago mate no 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 <laughs> just because there are so many pages on yeah. but, but even back the then there were so many pages the moderating team did exist until about two years ago i think and yeah. there's i think it's been outsourced now but i don't know yeah just to come back to it then so the, these forums are well, the first question is what was the what was the explosive position in terms of growth that surprised you most because you know people if you put a story up and it's quite interesting people are going to read it if you get a massive scoop you're going to get an incremental increase in traffic we know that the forum thing you you don't really know where that's going do you that that could get really big and then you've got your classifiers which was the one that surprised you the first um yeah i perhaps surprised the wrong word The, the, the forums yeah i mean they they generated a life of their own good and bad i'm gonna have had utterly hilarious evenings and evenings of the utmost stress i want to we'll come back to some forum stories in a minute because there's, um, there's half an hour in that yes, alone, but, but but i'm just wondering so, so forums were user generated content that was the buzzword at the time so here's stuff i don't have to write myself it means if i get up late and i haven't written any news um there's still something going on on the site that people can look at yeah and i viewed the classifieds in the same way initially this is something people can post up. It's a useful service. It's interesting, and it's content that other people are writing for me. Uh, and it wasn't until four or five years in, when I sat down one Christmas and thought, "Okay, I need to get my head around the commercials of where this is going." That's one of the, again a bit of a light bulb moment, and perhaps an obvious one in hindsight. Where the classifieds are really interesting and. I need to monetize those because it was all free. And you, and you just slapped it was just a t- what was it? what was the first price? Do you remember? I, I think I charged dealers twenty five quid for an ad. No, few of them took it up. I think one took it up and just kept advertising different cars on the same advert. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I put a and I'd send out invoices because it's, it's all paper back then. Yeah, um, I send out invoices to them. Some of them might pay, some of them might not. And then I implemented a credit card mechanism. And that was brilliant. I'd sit there and this thing would just go ka throughout the day. And you just and watch money coming in. People give me money. And, and, how, and how many cars did it, did it go Did it go quickly? Because it no, became the destination quite quickly, I thought. When I sold in end of 2006, I think it was 8,000 cars. But it was 8,000 interesting cars. Yeah. And so we broke it down by category and then we had a retmobiles, shopping trolleys and SUVs for everything else. Uh, so it was all interesting stuff. Um, yeah. So we're sort of resisting going too mainstream. 
So the forums, right? Give tell me your first. What was your first forum horror story where you just thought this could this could land me in oh. prison? Well, literally, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a thread on Speed Plod and the Law about <laughs> about a road safety charity and the figurehead of that, and some silly stuff was said in there. Silly stuff you see on everyday Twitter these days. Um, and I had a phone call three o'clock in the afternoon from a journalist on the Times. Oh, no, sorry. The, the charity rang up first and said, there's this thread on there. It's unpleasant. So I apologised profusely. I'll remove it straight away. Um, and that'll be the end of it. I did so, got rid of it. And ten minutes later, a journalist from the Times rings up. Yeah, about this thread on piston heads. I just I thought oh, it's so stitched up here um, so I I had no experience of dealing with the media I, did, I didn't know how to handle this so I just, yeah. I'm not prepared to talk about this I'm, it's gone yeah no comment um, so I thought, oh Christ so I knew this was going to be something in the Times following morning so half page article in the Times following morning death threats to road safety campaigner so okay not quite sure how I'm going to deal with this or where it's going and then someone says oh have you turned on the telly they're on GMTV no stitch so I mean all fair play to them they milked it for what it was worth um but and there was all this talk of death threats to road safety campaign and questions were asked in parliament um and this rumbled on and um they kept talking about the police being involved but no one had contacted me so I eventually rang Two or three days later, I rang North Yorkshire Police and said, yeah, I'm told you're taking this seriously. How can I assist or can we get to the bottom of this quickly? Uh, had a very reassuring conversation with the Chief Inspector. He said, look, I can see this for what it is. You know, don't worry about it. We're not going to pursue it. It's silly banter. It was ill-advised comments, but no further action. So I breathed a huge sigh of relief. And on this Friday night, Drunk most of a bottle of wine, phone call. Oh, hello, it's PC Plod from Yorkshire Police. Yeah, I, I want to prosecute you for harassment. Oh, just like, <laughs> where's this going to go away? I, don't, I said, I was almost as infuriated as I am now. Um, one, have you spoken to your boss? Because he told you, me you're going to drop it. And two, do you actually know any of the law here? Because I'm the publisher here, or I'm the host, or whatever the terminology was. The law wasn't that sophisticated back then. It's quite clear these days what your um, rights and responsibilities are as a host or publisher. Back then, it was the Wild West. No one really knew. Yeah. Um, so I said to him, you know, have you spoken to Chief Inspector Sanso? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay then. Bye. <laughs> but it dragged on. Um, and again, it was... Yeah, they got some good PR out of it. Fair play to them. Well, so at this point, actually, so are you. I mean, to be absolutely clear, no one's going to condone people making such threats. It's awful. It shouldn't happen, and it's the worst side of forums. Mm. But but your name's getting mentioned the whole time. True. Um, but going back to that sort of idea that your world doesn't change, I'm still sat in my little room in Buckinghamshire. Now I'm fending off the Times and GMTV <laughs> and. Um, and no one has any idea this is Dave in his bedroom yeah do and so eventually I complained to Ofcom because they were using it weeks and weeks later and I said look the police didn't view this as a death threat so can't they just sort of put a sock in it now um, 
and Ofcom disagreed with me. They said it was still valid, blah, blah. But at that point, the story did go away. Um, so that was... So you've... And how did you deal with um, this sense of wanting to to go to, to sort of defend yourself and get punchy on a forum? I mean, you're clearly quite a relaxed character, but, you know... We'll come to it later on, but I, after you'd sold it, I went to work for Pits and Heads for a bit, and I just found it nigh on impossible. <laughs> I hate to qualify the word impossible, not to bite, you know, because they'd just be... Well, that is your character. Yeah, I know, it's me, but, but everyone did. I used to see really quite placid people taken to a place that I didn't even know they could go to <laughs> by a fucking forum. Um, I just couldn't believe... And how, how did you deal with it? I suppose I didn't necessarily take it personally, although a lot was thrown in my direction um i don't i'm uh, I'm, I'm not very punchy i'm there i've always wanted to diffuse situations so that became the game someone would come at me with whatever accusations or demands um and it became the, the challenge to just take the wind out of their sails and surprise them with your response that yeah. actually yeah okay oh yeah maybe you're right sorry and leave it at that and then they you get much more muted response back. I mean, the, the first incident we had was one Christmas. I think the forums were quite new. I started labelling people according to how active they were. So if you were a really busy person, you'd be a top gasser because of yeah. being the gassing station. And we had this one guy in America and he'd posted quite a lot on the Lotus Forum. So And he had a little moniker under him saying gas bag. And <laughs> He mailed me and said, um, yeah, I spoke to my attorney about this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, good one, yeah. And he was serious. He he was genuinely upset I was calling him a gas bag. So then I was speaking to some of my American friends. I said, have I misunderstood the term? Is this something that's totally different meaning in the US? No, I don't think so. Um, so then I had to write a bit of software to leave him out the whole system because... <laughs> He wasn't up for it, so yeah, it started early. <laughs> so you're, you're you're trundling along now, and but... still just by yourself at this stage. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and the business and the business is is growing. Mm. You don't. At what point do you think right? They've got to have an exit here. I've got to, at some point. I'm 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 altering the way people consume car media here. I've got to have an exit. I'm either, I've either got to grow it and have an office and be grown up, or I've got to flog it. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, so initially, I. Yeah, this was back in the days of sort of boo.com and there were some big exits early on, but progress was a lot slower than uh, my dreams. Uh, so I was four or five years in, now earning still less than I had earned in a proper job, but it was working and I could see it was going somewhere, but I didn't see an exit at that point. I, I just thought I've got to make the most of this opportunity. And sort of around 2005, I was looking at some... Um, some old documentation during the week. I was drowning an opportunity that I, I sort of didn't know which way to go. So I had 600 inquiries for advertising one year, of which I was converting sort of 10, 15%. And it was still you on your own? Yeah. And so... Is, is there a pattern here? I mean, did, did, <laughs> did you not think at some point, I might need someone to help I, me I here? got a, an agency in to sell some of the advertising. So they started to open doors with some of the manufacturers who I just didn't have any relationships with. So we started getting some bigger campaigns from them. Um, but this was still the early days of the internet. So it was, I was thinking, well, do I try and automate the advertising system and create like a Google pay-per-click thing within the site so that if you want to advertise in a Porsche room, you just help yourself and take me out the loop? 
I, do, I just want you to automate everything. Take me, yeah. take me out of the loop. I don't want, really want to work with a bunch of people. Um, I'll just code it instead. Um, and at that point, it was, okay, do I do self-service advertising? Do I do self-service classifieds? Do you think that would have worked in hindsight? For a period, yeah. I think they, they, the golden goose has been killed for advertising online now. Yeah. Um, because it's got too clever. I think within a car site, I want to see car adverts. So I don't want to see an advert for the shed because I was looking for sheds last week. Yeah, the, um, this targeted advertising has got too clever. It's, it's ruined it. And yeah. so I've, like many others, I now use an ad blocker. Yeah. And yeah, I've made my living out of advertising and <laughs> there's an irony there. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of opportunities and I wasn't quite sure which one to pursue. In hindsight, it's obvious. It's obvious. Um, but I was gearing up to employ people and get an office and it was a, going to be a big step. And my wife used to work in HR and she'd come home every day from her job and tell me all the horrors of employing people and that probably put me off for a long time. Well, at this point, were you aware that, that you were making a stir in the, in the space? Because, yeah, you, because you were. As, yeah, but in that situation, you, you live in fear of everyone catching up. So I'd look at Evo and think, oh, once I get their website sorted, yeah, they're going to blow me away. Um, I knew I had an advantage initially because I could do the coding and any corporate or publisher, it would be a big change for them. And, you know, publishers have had to become software houses and that's taken a period of sort of 10, 15 years. So I I was waiting for everyone to catch up. I was, I was living in fear. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I was on the other side of the fence sitting there going, we don't, we don't stand a chance. And I'll tell you why, because... When you when you were at Evo, well, I was I was variously I was a sort of freelance motoring journalist, but but I was a voice of this fast car space. Mm. I was a conventional voice of that space, right? So I'd earned my living by writing about fast cars in various magazines and had a tiny following, but it was enough for me to lever money out of places so I could and and it got me access with car manufacturers. But I remember sitting there thinking, first of all, what worries me is that there's this place you can go where people will write about owning a GT3 hmm. or whatever it is for free. So effectively, yes. you can get free content about a GT3. It was the beginning of, for me, I saw it was the beginning of the end. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> well, why? And you, you can stand there and you can pre- present a confident face like you were doing with your business. You're sitting there, th- you're, you're saying, I'm, we're pissing us, we're great. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, if, we, if Evo Switch was on their site, I'm in trouble here. Well, yeah. it was the same for me. I could stand there as a, as a conventional journalist and say, you need to pay for me because my what I say about a GT3 is more entertaining than than these on piston heads. But actually, it it creates massive self doubt, doesn't it? You yeah. so, you suddenly think, well, God, what am I offering here? Are there, why are people going to carry on paying for this when you can go onto the Porsche section of piston heads? And there's people that own far more bloody 911s than I've ever had, and they and actually some of them write really well. Yes. And that was the big fear for me. Occasionally, I'd read a thread, and there'd be and the best threads. Is it still there? Some the people did words? some really good reviews. Oh, there was yeah. some. Ama- yeah. What about the one where the bloke takes his ca- he takes his cat to the vet? You've seen that one. He has an amazing one. one about a bloke taking his cat t- taking <laughs> his cat to vet, and, and and he can't get the thing in the cage, right? And it starts running away, and it oversteers, and he refers to it as a four legged <laughs> Fangio as it slides <laughs> off down the kitchen. And I remember reading some of this content and thinking. Crikey, I'm out of a job here. This, this is. I, could, I, I had a suspicion these were highly educated people who, in yes. their lunch hour, yeah. were frustrated journalists. And I'm, you were, and uh, you were getting all this user-generated content. And I'm thinking, 
Blimey, I'm in trouble. Also, in, in hindsight, it's easier to sort of compartmentalise and work out where it stood. At the time, it was all a blur. Yeah. So I was sort of thinking I need to build the relationships with manufacturers and do what traditional journalists do. But actually, the fact that I wasn't doing that was probably what was exactly. making it different. Because yeah. you you were the unknown. And you were this... Yes. There's always... It seems to me the car industry is always in thrall with what it can't quite understand or, or touch. And that's what the influencer works at the moment. The idea of mincing about on Instagram <laughs> is, is is fascinating to the car makers because they can't really control that space. But and also you were that it, thing. It allowed me, us, the other writers we were using to take a tone that was quite irreverent and and rude and unusual. So yeah. it was a lot more fun. I'd write some pretty awful stuff and um, it was fun doing it because I I didn't have any relationships to, to break or bridges to burn because I hadn't built them yet. So um, it, the tone of the whole place was a lot more fun, I think. You said the whole place. It was you in a bedroom. <laughs> it wasn't my bedroom. It was a spare room. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're 05... Yeah. And you're thinking, right, this has to go one of two ways. Either, <laughs> either needs to become a proper organisation yeah. or we need to do something else. Not really. I, there was no... In hindsight, again, you know, maybe I could have looked at getting investors on board and going big. I, <clears throat> I just didn't see that at the time. I just thought, okay, well, I've made enough money and we've got enough coming in now. I can afford to get a coder um, and an office and just... It always it'd been totally bootstrapped. So yeah, my my running costs were just my living costs. The the site itself didn't really cost anything to run initially, and then it paid for itself quite quickly. Um, so the biggest overhead was me. So again, it, yeah. that was probably part of my quest for automation. Um, so it it was always bootstrapped, and uh, my vision was well, I just keep growing this based on what comes in and what I can and the invest. the wider media space, of course. You're growing, and you're and you're sitting there on your own, and your cost base is totally under control. Yeah. Because you're, you know, you've you've happened. I mean, I'd, I'd like to say through being super bright, you've worked out how to do it. You're not spending much money, and yet you're engaging people. Yes. And the wider media is spending more and more money, and engaging fewer people. You know, we're out there on magazine tests, and we're we're spending more money on photography more money fueling these supercars making content that fewer people are reading because they're coming to piston heads instead yeah. and then the video thing hits home yes. and that, I think the video thing is actually plays a massive part in the downfall of a lot of these big car magazines because they suddenly thought oh we all have to make video I tried it and it just cost a fortune and then you've got to host it I, I put a tripod in a bush <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a different video Dave uh, I, I, I passed it but I I had someone, again, a lot of people were very helpful. A lot of the people on PH were in IT. Uh, someone, I didn't quite understand the deal, but he needed a lot of bandwidth going out to offset some bandwidth going in. So he gave me some hosting for videos. So we, we did um, some experimentation back then, uh, but it was all too slow to, to download generally, I think. Yeah. We were still on pretty slow connections. But, I keep digressing. Um, so 05. So it's, yeah. I want to get to the juicy bit here. So because I, I find the, 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 the transfer of PH to someone else, the ownership fascinating and what right. happened. And I've never heard it publicly spoken about either. Okay. Uh, it was 2006 and EMAP contacted me to talk about stuff. I, mean, I can't remember. It was vague, possible collaboration on something. So I went up to their offices in Peterborough and we had a couple of meetings and 
soon became apparent they were fishing to find out more. It turned out they were actually interested in the software um, because uh. they wanted a publishing platform and they just tried to buy one and failed. And they were quite intrigued by what I'd done and particularly the ability to reskin. So um, I had some other sites which were replicas of, like the Porsche Forum used to also have a replica at Porkers Co. UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I could reskin things, almost quite crude behind the scenes, but it, it worked. Uh, so they, they started expressing interest. Um, and I just said to them one day, look, are you trying to buy this or do you want to buy this? Is that where we're going with this? Um, and so we started to have some more frank conversations. And, t- and tell me, because not many people have done this, the idea of leaving a conventional job, building something on your own, take it, you've taken a risk, right? Yeah. You've done it on your own. When you walk out of that meeting <laughs> the first time and you've thought, I've got, I might have a fish on the line here. Did I mean, did that feel utterly euphoric to you? Or did it feel a sense of relief? Or did it just feel like the place you always thought you were going to get to? I can't remember my emotions at the time because it obviously was exciting. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's... Uh... But it's it's another unknown. This is this is something I've you know, I've no experience of business or selling. Or so first thought is okay. I need some help here. I need to go and find someone who does know what they're talking about. And is this all going to happen, or is this you know they're going to turn around and offer me three pound fifty for it, and I'm wasting my time, or is this you know life changing? Did you have an idea of a number in your head at all? No, and that was the first sort of months of negotiation was trying to work out because it was still a very modest business. I mean, as a business, it was. You know, one man doing doing well, but it had, but it ha- it's numbers. The, so the, the the numbers around it were massively impressive already. Yeah. So around about that time, once I did work, find some software to process the numbers. It was thirty million pages a month, um, but it wasn't that they were interested. In. They were interested in the software. Um, so so I went and found, did a bit of networking. I found an advisor in mergers and acquisitions. And he there was knew no he, lack of those lurking yeah. in the forums, was it? Yeah. Um, and he had experience with EMAP and the publishers. So I, I rocked up to the next meeting with him. And there's this look of horror on their face. <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's the one, perhaps he was not even me to engage him, but he was the one who'd screwed them on the previous deal. <laughs> <laughs> so he was asked to leave. And Was he? Yes. Well, just leave the meeting. Yes. Yeah. So, you, um, so hold on, you've turned up with your assist, your, yeah. your right-hand man, your wingman, and they've said yeah. he needs to leave. Yes. So oh, I think that, yeah, we, we had a brief coffee and then said, look, this isn't going to work if he's here. Because um, they were obviously still quite bitter about what had gone previously. <laughs> uh, so I parked him in the background. I, I realised later they thought I'd got rid of him, but he was just advising me in, in the background. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, you know, if we, to get any sort of... A, idea of value what someone's prepared prepared to pay for it we need to go and talk to some other potential buyers uh so we went to talk to yahoo um the daily mail that could have been quite amusing yeah um oh, oh auto trader um they engaged and haymarket and haymarket looked at the numbers and they could immediately build a plan around that yeah. And that's that started getting interesting then. So it, it, Auto Trader were interested, and um, I had discussions with someone who's become a good friend of mine. Uh, and they made an offer, but it was more based around uh, me retaining some ownership, developing the site sort of within their 
under their umbrella. And to be honest, I wasn't sure their motives. I thought that the classifieds is where this is going. They don't really want, you know, they're buying me to consume me, not yeah. to really grow me. So much as it was attractive, it, the end goal wasn't really what I dreamed of. So, so I boiled down to EMAP and Haymarket. And uh, Haymarket very much around the traffic and they could see the money they could make from selling it with a proper sales team and all the relationships they had that I didn't. That was a good fit there, wasn't it? For it was. And I, I really liked the people I was dealing with. Um, with EMAP, it fell apart a bit. Obviously, I'd already blotted my copybook by turning up with the wrong guy. Um, <laughs> or the right guy. Yeah, but <laughs> they uh, there were internal politics and they were sort of offering me one thing in, in a letter and then withdrawing it the following week. And it was... I'd, so is it true? I heard anecdotally, and I, I'm, I, first of all, this is not about numbers. I'll never ask you about numbers because I'm not interested and I think it's absolutely your privacy. But that there's, that I heard this rumour that basically EMAP got over the line and then there was a bit of a, then something happened and then Haymarket got it. Is that the case or not? Not really, no. That EMAP, we got eventually put a number on it, which was basically I had to come up with a number in the end. Yeah. Um, and so once we all had that target number to work from, they both worked towards it in their own way. But all the way along EMAP, you know, I'd meet various directors and board members and it's all great, but they'd say one thing and then someone else would say, well, you, well yeah, but, and I was uneasy with EMAP. Uh, the guys at Haymarket were very straightforward. Um, and it boiled down to one day and we met EMAP in the morning I turned up with my advisor thinking they know he's still in the background and they didn't. And they told him to go and sit on the other side of the room. Well, it was in a restaurant, actually. They told him to go and sit somewhere else. So I had to deal with that. And so final offer on the table from them. Um, but my heart was already with Haymarket. And then we had a meeting with Haymarket in the afternoon. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going in there to accept the deal. And fortunately, my advisor was more poker-faced and squeezed a bit more out of them. And they said, well, okay, Fair enough, but that's it. You, you walk out of the room today, deal over. Um, so they rang Michael Heseltine. He gave it the nod, and uh, the deal was done. So that's amazing. Um, and uh, and so who was? And so I presume Mr. Fuller was involved from, from the Patrick market. Patrick Fuller yeah. and David Prasher. Yeah, yeah. So and so yeah, it was one thing we got in common. So I, I, you know, Patrick Fuller made a profound difference to my life as well. Yeah, so yeah, I really I, enjoyed. And I, I ended up working there for sort of six months, handover. Um, it's funny these characters isn't it that have you know Patrick he doesn't work there anymore but um, I mean, he gave me my break mm. and um, and supported me when I was fairly irascible and I'll get him on this one day because he's got a lot of stories but no one and, and he basically you know he took piston heads from you kept you on and I think nurtured it sensitively and did a great yes. job with it in fact I remember him introducing me to you yeah I remember in that yeah. office yeah, yeah saying this is this is Petrol Ted I'm like wow um <laughs> But I, but no one knows his name. He's sort of, <laughs> because no one knows who he is. One of these sort of secret people that lurks in the background that that actually has had a huge influence on affairs. So you walk out of that room, and and you've sort of you've gone through the journey. What 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 were your thoughts? I was obviously excited to do it again in a way. Um, yeah, I'm still trying. Ten years later, um, I was very fortunate. That was my first entrepreneurial journey and I bagged it first time um, and my adventures since have taught me just how difficult it is and how in hindsight I've got the timing right and 
all the things perhaps I probably didn't appreciate so much at the time. So now, so with hindsight, how and we'll talk about some of the things you've done subsequently. Yeah, we'll do a half time thing. Um, so with what you know now. How much of it do you think was down to just? How much of it is down to luck and timing and uh, enormous and amount? The, yeah, I mean, you make some of your own luck, but timing was key. The the zeitgeist at the time around the internet, around fast cars, um, you know, speed cameras coming in. There's the last throws of actually yeah driving around hell for leather and getting away with it. Um, so there was a a real buzz at the time around a lot of this stuff, which was really important. The technology, technology changing at the time. So yeah, it was perfect timing in hindsight. Um, well, you were the one that got it right. Lots of other people tried. Yeah. We, I tried, and, and, I, and a lot of it was yeah, low low overheads. We had dot com bubble whenever that burst, and I saw other people falling by the wayside, and I was still sat there in my pants doing the same thing. So <laughs> you were right, in I'm your bedroom. Be, right, we're, we're going to leave you with that image of Dave sitting in his pants. I <laughs> uh, will take a break. You go and have yourself a jammy dodger and a cup of tea. Um, so this is the Collecting Cars podcast, just checking out for a few minutes. Collecting Cars, the safe, smart and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Welcome back to this Collecting Cars podcast with me, Chris Harris, um, him, Edward Lovett, and him, Dave Edmondson, the founder or creator of Piston Heads. Now, I'm loving this because I was a I was a great PH lurker. I did have a login when I worked there after you'd sold it, but um, I, you just told me a little story in the break there that I'm afraid has to be aired. So, back in about 2004, we think... Piston heads went off air for a week. The story behind it is magnificent. Dave, <laughs> over to you. I woke up one day to find a few people complaining they'd been emailed about a, I don't know if it was legal or illegal, road race through Europe. And why was I letting people email them about this? Uh, so I started having a poke around and discovered that someone had worked out how to misuse the membership system to send emails to people and they promoted this rally race whatever you want to call it and they had a script to do this and it was still running so I managed to block it after they'd emailed 10,000 people <laughs> and uh, so I went on the forum and apologized for what is probably in modern terms a data breach but this was the wild west back then and uh, thought okay well that's the end of it apologize said some scumbag had done this and Please be assured it won't happen again. I've plugged the hole. Key, key word here is scumbag. Scumbag <laughs> did prove more significant than uh, <laughs> I'd hoped. And I had a communication shortly afterwards suggesting that calling this person a scumbag wasn't wise. And the site went down. Okay, so this is our first experience, um, and only, I think, of a denial of service attack, where people just pound the site with traffic so that no one else can get on, on it. And fortunately, I had a very good hosting company at the time, Carenza, and they were straight on it and you know, reassured me that they get to the bottom of this. And it turned out to be absolutely massive. 
and they'd never seen the likes of it before. Uh, we got some other people involved, again, people volunteering who I'd got to know from the forum who were also in hosting, and I know quite a few of them sort of pitched in to try and work out what was going on and how to alleviate the problem. So two or three days in, we're still down, as were some of the sites. I used to do sites for some car dealers as well. They were down as well, and they were reasonably patient. Um, and it was communicated to me that um, basically calling this guy a scumbag was ill-advised, and perhaps if I apologised, maybe things would come back. So, well, okay. Uh, in the meantime, I'd contacted the cybercrime unit of Scotland Yard, who referred me to High Wycombe Branch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I didn't pursue. Um, and I think we were offline for eight days in the end. And once again, there was some communication that's somewhat lost in the midst of time that if I apologised and let this person have free reign on the forums, um, then things might get better. So... Are we allowed to say who this person is yet or not? I'd rather not. I, I don't want to give them the oxygen of publicity. Um, Good lad. I like it. Uh, so... I made the call. I had a rather silly conversation with someone in, in Europe and uh, in theory granted him access to the forums again to continue plugging his project. Um, but in the meantime, I'd written some software so that whatever he posted, he was the only one who could see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically you gave him a room to stand in and shout. Yeah, I mean, he, he'd appear on forums promoting this thing. Um, but no one would reply because no one else could see it. So as far as he was concerned, he I'd done it. I'm surprised he didn't work it out, actually. But, um, so that did eventually go away and uh, we, were, we were back online in business. Brilliant. But it, so it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a blackmail for an apology. It wasn't... Yeah, I mean, nothing serious. I mean, but yeah, I had to recognise the superiority of this individual to, uh, in order to carry on my business. What, um, what other ones? Come on, give me some other PH-based, forum-based stories. Um, what was the one I just mentioned? One, didn't you I? did what? mention just one there. What was it? Oh, police. Oh, police. police. No, yeah, so we had various policemen on the, the site offering generally advice and quite often sort of experiences what they'd been up to during the day. Speed, plod and the law, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, some of them didn't like being called plod. Um, but on the whole, it was great. And you, it's the equivalent you see on Twitter these days. You see officers on there telling people what they've done that day uh, but one force didn't like this and started sending me faxes back in the day about demanding I reveal the identity of some of their officers who were posting on there about stuff um, which put the willies up me a bit but then again you start reading up on the law at the time and it's all very vague and really unless there's a court order um, I'm not obliged to reveal anything data wise in the meantime, they'd all change their email addresses to, I think it was dibble at hotmail or dot com or something. But, um, so I think eventually I gave them the, the new email addresses or something and fobbed them off. But yeah, the, those early days were you know, an echo of what we see on Twitter every day now. Who was your, who was the most famous lurker that lurked under a different name that you knew about as being famous? There must have been a few. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm not sure. I wasn't that aware of them, but we had various people claiming to be of note. Yeah. So we had one particular chap who I know for a fact lived with his mum in Chesterfield. (laughs) (laughs) Who created a whole family. So there was Mr. and Mrs. Dockick and their son, Jared. Mr. Dockick owned a McLaren F1. A left-hand drive and a right-hand drive Ferrari 456. One in Europe and one in this country. I must admit, I I was gullible. I I did fall for it. I I thought this guy was credible. So he created an entire world. Yeah. Um... Mr. Dockick eventually died, and we raised some money for some charity in his name. <laughs> um, <laughs> the son carried on, and eventually, this the sort of PH police uh, tracked him down because he was obviously only a hundred odd F1s made, and he was claiming to own a certain one. And eventually, they worked out someone else owned that car and, and how long did it flushed go him out. Well, it got tricky. He he got quite antsy about it, and. Basically, you started sort of making veiled threats against me and my family and we, I know where you live type stuff. Um, and then rang the hosting company, claiming to be from a lawyer. Um, so he was a troubled individual. He was. Um, and eventually, again, through some interesting means, we worked out who he was. And I just rang him up one day and said, I know who you are and where you live too. This needs to stop. This stops yeah. here. And, yeah. and it did. But uh, I think he probably came back again under some other pseudonyms. Um, but then we had another guy who came along claiming to have a McLaren F1. I thought, oh, here we go again. Um, but he emailed me and said, look, I've really got one. Can I come round and, before I go on the forums, can I come round and talk to you about it to, so that you can vouch for me? And this chap on the forum goes under Flemke. Many will know. Yeah. I think there's a 300-page forum on the uh, we say his name? Didn't want his name spoken about he never it. liked no. his name revealed. Well, I, I, I'm saying hello to you, Mr. Flemke. I've not seen you in many <laughs> years, but I miss, I miss the things we used to do together. <laughs> so he came around my little house in Woburn Green. He turned up in some big yellow 993 with huge wings. And we went to the pub. And he got out the service history for the, the F1 and showed me the £30,000 service bill he just paid. Um, and then went on to post on the forums for real. That's quite good so. value back then. And, and, and this was, was this the origins of the custard test? <laughs> right, so can you explain? The, I love this. The PH had lots of, of quirks and the custard test was one of the best. Absolutely. It was hilarious. I mean, some of the things people came up with and part of the whole culture that emerged was hugely fun. Uh, people would claim to own certain cars. And 
there'd be all sorts of ways to well, well tell me what the door handle's like and people were forever trying to suss them out and then someone came up well you need to take a picture of the car and that's not enough to have a picture of the car because you can go anywhere on the internet and photoshop yourself into something but we want a picture of the car with a tin of bird's custard on the bonnet <laughs> <laughs> and i think the most famous one was uh jason plato was on there and oh that was people, so good that one. people were calling him out and th- then he appeared with a tin of custard and whatever car he was uh with at the time the, the, the just custard and that's it was, brilliant so all that happened was you'd say someone would say yeah I've got whatever and it would just the next one would be drop down would be custard test please yeah. and I have to say the other funny sort of theme uh, that did emerge was the uh, the photoshops and you were absolutely crucified on one of them I was, got nailed with one I was I looking think. at this week there, on PH still there's a, a little wiki page which is the legendary threads of PH and there's a, the Chris Harris photoshop where you're grinning in a Ferrari I've got a massive beard and a beanie hat on, <laughs> and they someone went to town with it, and I was I was in the middle of a row with Ferrari and stuff. So there's a picture of me with Montezemolo with his arm around me, and then it, <laughs> someone made me every single face in a golf crowd. That's superb. I mean, the the time that went into it. I mean, it's a forty or fifty page thread. is is fantastic. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Oh, that, that used to amaze me about the the site. Uh, you know, when we knew some of the people that were on there commenting, the amount of time. And these are serious people with serious jobs. <laughs> and they would be... And they were on there 24-7. The yeah. They, yeah. They, it, was, it was, in its pomp, addictive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Some of the arguments they got into, some of our mutual <laughs> friends. But also, the, sort of going back to the, the lack of re- relationship with manufacturers, the, the ones I did have relationships with, with would tend to be the smaller ones, so the Nobles, the Marcos, I and mean, there's a lot around at the time, the Tridents and all sorts of people trying to get back off, off the ground. Um, and FBS, so, uh, did you ever come across the FBS census? Yes. Interesting yeah. car. Yeah. Um, I digress slightly, but the feedback they would get initially to giving us some information was a real shock to them. Yeah. So the idea of you know getting a journal in and writing an article and a month later it appearing and you know, people say nice things to you. Now I put a story up and within hours they're getting, well, that's crap. Yeah. You know, it looks like a Maserati and I mean, that's, it's just, everything looks like something else. Um, so that instant feedback was a real shock to a lot of them. Yeah. I, I think it was a, it was a, what's my stomach rumbling? Sorry. The, um, I, I think the disruption that it caused in the motor, sort of the specialist motor media industry was fantastic because I think it forced change for lots of good reasons. I and mean, we're going through another phase of it now. I'm less fond of what's happening now with mm. influencers and, and, um, and Instagram because I think it's lightweight and I, I don't really get it. Whereas Pistoners was the other way. What it did was it exposed the magazines as being a bit lightweight. And I can remember, you know, I'd, you know I can admit now that I'd, I'd go and speak to people at Porsche who would have been reading Piston Heads and had, and would go into the Porsche GT3 forum, and some you know some nutter had been tracking his car in a way they never expected. They they'd read stuff and yes. say we didn't you know, we didn't know that was happening. <laughs> so what what you had was this sort of intensive car enthusiasm that I loved. You could you could finally drill down into areas that you were really 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 fascinated with, and there'd be a space for you. Yeah, I mean, what intrigued me was the, the manufacturers didn't reach out earlier. They they seemed to be so hands off which suited in hindsight suited me it meant i could write the nonsense i did um but yeah there's a few of them sort of i think dunlop and porsche started to contact me towards the end of my tenure 
um, and try and get me involved and Dunlop in particular did um, but other than that I was dealing with car dealers if I wanted to test drive a car or um, some of the freelancers would uh, get cars from the manufacturers but generally I was going to the dealers and I had a very good relationship with a lot of the dealers and I can go and borrow things from them uh, rather than the manufacturers I think the the way that the the press offices and the marketing departments they're, they're getting merged together more and more because mm. the, it's one message really isn't it the way they operate is that the 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 guy or woman in charge tends to run the strategy mm. and and if if they're 40 to 50 years old they're kind of wedded to the incumbent media aren't they yeah. so when you were starting piston heads all the people that ran the directors of press offices were still into car magazine and autocar and also still, it, it, the in hindsight it's probably a good thing because there was me sort of blag my way as a, a car journalist of sorts um i'd have got found out i did nothing about driving <laughs> fast cars and uh, when dunlop did reach out to me and uh, uh invited me to jolly at uh, ascari once to test drive the sp sport max tires um and yeah exposed me for the the fraud i was i, I was there with all the other journalists and we all get given a car to do sort of ducks and drakes around Ascari to familiarise ourselves with the circuit. They all jump in alphas and whatever. I get left with a Mercedes S-Class. <laughs> and so we're doing ducks and drakes around and I think a few of them have been there before. And, you know, I was at the back trying to keep up in an S-Class, bouncing across the chicane because I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to get round it. And then, you know, they came to testing the tyres. Uh, I think I came in an alpha coupe of some sort. Uh, what, what do you think of the tyres? Oh, oh, yeah, uh, very very progressive. No, mate, they're the old tyres. New cars are <laughs> that one. So, so, no, it was it was good that I probably didn't... Uh, did you, so did you have a sort of a newfound respect for the fact that there might actually be some skill in being a car journalist? Or did you did you think, actually, you're all blagging it? I think I thought the latter, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's always been my thought as well. Um, so, you, so you sell the thing to Haymarket, yeah. right, in 06... Uh, beginning of 07. Beginning of 07. And uh, you get bolted into one of their buildings in uh, Teddington. Yeah, so we lived in Buckinghamshire at the time, so I was, it was commutable to Teddington. Uh, I had a three-year sort of consultancy agree, agreement with them, winding down, but we both agreed it was better that I just hand over as quickly as possible. Um, I knew I couldn't really work in a, a more structured environment, so it was a question of handing over the knowledge as quickly as possible. So um, I I think I was full-time there for about three or four months, which was a bit of a struggle, to be honest. But, well, presenteeism. Yeah, I, I, nine to five, jacket on the chair. I don't smoke, so I ate a lot of rhubarb flapjacks and to break the time up. And yeah. It, it was difficult. But and, and I presume... You're also right next to Autocar and what car, aren't you? So you see the goings-on. Steve of, Cropley. I yeah. finally get to see Steve Cropley typing two-fingered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he gives the keyboard a bit of a workout, doesn't he? You can hear the noise down yeah, the corridor. I mean, it was also exciting because, yeah, I'd read Autocar for 30 years or whatever, 20 years. Um, so to be in that environment was really interesting. Yeah. Um, it was just a, yeah, my lack of freedom within it was a bit of a struggle. But then that's a small price to pay. So you, so you've, you've, you then, you've done your earn out. You've, you've handed over the information, yeah. and you, you've had a success. So, so you, you've, you've mentally banked that. Yeah. What do you go off and do? So it sounds slightly imaginative. I mean, unimaginative. Uh, sort of more of the same in a way. I, there were sort of technical issues I wanted to scratch. 
because I had never had, the, I was always sort of firefighting, although it was always development, it was always firefighting and trying to get the thing working with more and more people on it. And so there are ideas I wanted to explore in terms of, sort of mapping and the tech was moving along really quickly. And uh, so I ended up creating blatters.com, which was a, a way to explore those ideas. And it, it's it's unimaginative. It was a, a PH Mark II with more bells and whistles. Um, and that did you not have a non-compete in there? Did, 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 did I did, they... yeah. So for basically four years. But, but Blatters was car related on... It was. Um, this was yeah. four years. Oh, so yeah, it immediately uh, I messed around with a, a classified system. I wanted to create a classified system where you knew who you're buying from based on a sort of um, friend's map. Yeah. Feel like Facebook. So, you, yeah. you know, oh, he's a friend of a friend. So that, that'll that work. Um, that didn't work out. Um that would have had a car element to it ultimately if it had got any traction. So then I went back to Pistonet's ideas, created Blatters, but out of that came the idea of um, crawling dealer websites for cars to create a classified system. And that looked quite interesting in its own right. Yeah. So then I went to Dennis Publishing and said, are you interested in doing something with this? So we ended up creating the Octane and Evo and Land Rover Monthly classified offerings with my web crawler and it had a free text search engine I got a bit too excited about this you could search for an M3 with cream leather interior and sat nav just by typing it in which I thought was great but no one actually does that they just <laughs> drill down on M3 and look so um so that that ticked over for a few years and you also I went to a track day and I saw you in a car and I'm, I'm oh, of course yeah we're missing thinking, the obvious here I remember I'm thinking that's nice he's this the bloke that so that so the bloke that founds piston heads and then sells piston heads what car does he buy okay so yeah the, i sold on wednesday thursday i went and bought a brand new range rover sport supercharged and on the friday i bought a 996 gt3 rs uh, it was white wasn't it yes which you just sold you said uh, about 18 months ago, 18 yeah. months ago yeah. yeah you sold it i spent 10 years doing track days and i thought what am i ever going to replace this with that does this in a similar manner and it's kind of iconic in my life as being the car I did buy after that but I also thought I need to do something different car wise have some other adventures so I drew up a list of about 20 cars I'd like to own and I'm about two through it I'm rubbish at selling cars was a so. mice and blue GT3 one of them <laughs> uh, but, but, I'll get a taxi yeah, home I'll, I'll just colour the I'll colour in that picture Ed was just turned up in a, a special order mice in blue GT3 um, with an exhaust so loud that the, <laughs> you can hear it 30 miles away and it's got yellow <laughs> writing down the side it'll soon be marketed on international collectibles I would have thought <laughs> um, so you've gone you're, and you're just going to fill a shed full of cars that you want I don't want to own loads of time so I bought a Z4M had that a couple of years yep. um, that was a good one I managed to sell it back to the same dealer I bought it from for the same price two years later <laughs> why is it that's what we always aim for <laughs> <laughs> um, then I bought an F-Type 5 litre yeah and that was three years ago I can't get rid of it it's great I love a four it four wheel drive one or a two no, wheel drive two wheel drive god in this weather yeah it's fun in these lanes here, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a handful yeah you've got to be respectful of it yeah um but it's convertible and it makes a stupid amount of noise and it's powerful and so it's basically a TBR, isn't it? It is, yeah. So it's a reliable TBR of the modern era. Um, so my plan to work through this big list is stalled again because I don't at like, the F time. Yeah, let's go back. Actually, I love jumping around on these TBR. So you're a TBR customer. Did you ever? Did you ever get a letter from TBR telling you to politely foxtrot Oscar? With uh, your I, never, I, know, I never bought one new. So I bought 
the S4 in 98, which was three years old or something. And then we had a couple of Chimeras and a Cerbera. You had a Cerbera, uh, did you? Yeah. Brave boy. An 8 or a 6? 8, 4.5. Never quite gelled with that. It just... There was a customer that lived uh, in Westenburg, and I remember him telling me his story about the Cerbera. And he was taking his daughter to school one day, and he, he said, Oh, I recognise that car as he saw the arse overtaking him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I remember driving. Well, the thing is, I always had a slightly tricky relationship with TVRs, they never really quite liked what I was doing. But because you were the biggest place destination to go for TVR. Yeah, so but it was sort of warts and all. So particularly things were all right. We just kept a respectful distance, and I didn't bother them. They didn't bother me until the I'll say this now until the Speed Six engine started blowing up, um, and they were in complete denial. And and you um, were a place where they um, could all come together and discuss it. But they didn't. So everyone would mail me privately saying, "Oh, don't tell anyone, but my engine's gone oh. as well." Because everyone was worried about their resale values. They didn't say the number of people I knew who'd had chocolate engines. And then it was around about the time um, Smolensky got involved and took over. And he had a new PR team or whatever you call it. And I remember one of the meetings at Haymarket, uh, sort of trying to nail down the final deals before we actually signed. And I was in the car park outside on the phone to TVR, them threatening me with lawyers because someone had called them a... Well, not scumbag this time, but something else. Um, and I was having to fend them off because they were throwing their toys out of the pram about what had gone on in the forums again. So it was, uh, yeah. Are they coming back, TVR? Will they arrive? I have I saw the car last year. I saw the it was doing the rounds again, wasn't it? I'm, um, I think the world's changing too quickly. I think, I think the idea of the, the British low-volume sports car that uses a you know, a a convention, a vaguely conventional engine, it, it might be over. I I, I think. Well, it's I was looking be... at the list of all the, I say Marcos, Noble, I, I can't remember them all now. There are about a dozen I was sort of talking to on a regular basis back in the day, all trying to do that. And yeah, we all. I just think on. I think, and I think the that you know you need a base architecture that you either buy from a a big car manufacturer or they kind of give it to you for not much money because they quite like what you're doing like mm. the, the way BMW did with Morgan yeah. unless you've got that architecture you're not going to get through any of the emissions you know well, so Euro someone's re-bought uh, Weissman again recently so Weissman's about to come back with BMW motors and wiring looms etc I, I flew to Germany to drive, drive a Weissman this is again where my is it Weissman or Weissman 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 I always thought it looked like a C-type that crashed into a Healy it was nice it was, it was sort of it was a bit like a German Cerbera in a way, but it was so good, it was boring. But if you like the Z4M Coupe, it's it's that. Oh, I've come away just really yeah. nonplussed in that it. You are you do you you perfectly describe TVR owners, and I'm I'm assuming you're one. <laughs> you just they just want trouble, character. <laughs> so when you go to the pub, do you, do you prefer it when there's just a suspicion the fight might break out? I I did seventy thousand miles in my S. Not all untroubled, that, but, but S, they were different. Those yeah, it was engines. it was when right. they got ahead Chimera. of themselves. We had a Chimera, we did. A late Chimera was a good car, yeah. though, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a couple of those. They were good. The yeah. the um, yeah the low volume sports car thing. Well, I remember the first time I went in a Viesman. I was with Sutcliffe. It came as an auto car test car. We had no idea what this thing was, and it had a M3 Evo engine in it. Yeah, and I remember sitting 
the year before with BMW saying we will never ever lend anyone an M engine. So clearly, someone at Viesman had a photograph of a BMW <laughs> board member compromised, and he's gone. We'll have one of those for our car, please. And the thing was so low at the rear that on the A three one six going out towards Chobham, I remember it bottoming out over exhaust, one of the expansion yeah. joints and thinking, God Almighty, this thing's mad. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was a great car, and I think there's there's all there is a market for that kind of wildness. But you just you can't. Whereas these people used to blag it with emissions and everything else, mm. the, the the world's changed. You can't blag it anymore, can you? You've got to, you've got to have it nailed down. Uh, and, and also a lot of the systems. So if you go to, you know, I'm involved with this, the next singer. Ultimately, Bosch control, or those people control a lot of what you do, you know, because they have to have final sign-off. Because if, if you, if, if Magnetti Morelli, for example, have their architecture in your car, whether they've got ABS or whatever it is, if that goes wrong later in life, they're liable. Yes. So they have to have sign-off as well. So once you let these big, you know, clever, rigorous engineering organisations into your project, the costs just go up so it's high. Funny, the only time I ever talked to Peter Wheeler was uh, they were getting a bit of a hard time about the lack of safety equipment on their cars. And uh, Ben Samuelson dragged me over and said, well, Peter would like to talk to you. Basically, can I do a piece for him the following day about why there's no ABS and how it's safer to get thrown clear through the windscreen or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, it, it wasn't very convincing. I mean, it was, you know, to be fair, it was nonsense, but it was, uh, yeah. it made a compelling argument for a lack of... Well, as you probably realise, a lot of these guys, the, the, the figureheads of the industry back then were very charismatic figures mm. who, you know, you'd read about them in Car Magazine and think... Why is the journalist falling for this shit? Yes. And then when you'd meet them, yeah. you'd be like the snake in the <laughs> bloody jungle, but you'd be there going, oh, yes, Peter, you're quite right, Peter. Do you, do you recognise that effect? I was that person. <laughs> um, so, you've, so you've had a couple of goes at uh, you know, a Piston Head style website or something, you know, enthusiast-based, classifieds. Um, where are you now? What are you up to now? Uh, I'm working on tourjackers.com. Um, which is a site where we want to create an environment where we can share driving tours. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, it could be family holidays ultimately, but basically any multi-destination tour where you want to do a bit of planning, uh, ultimately send that to your sat-nav and share that with some mates either to plan the trip or if you do it one year and you want to say, look, it's brilliant, here you go, you can do it next year. All you've got to do is plug your dates in and it will go around you each hotel on route and check availability. So that's coming together at the moment. Name so again? Tourjackers.com. There you go. You've heard um, it here, people. It's So it's, it's going to be a bit of a long slog because to get the Google-style, you know, planning a route on a map and be able to sort of drag pins around and all that malarkey is... Is that app-based um, or...? A... It, it's a web app at the moment. Yeah. Um, so it, we're confident it's going to fill a niche it's going to take us a while to to do it i think yeah but uh it's it's taking shape so the the basic tour planner is, should be up this week and this is european or global global potentially yeah. you know i can get a list of hotels all around the world and then we're going to again try and build a bit of community around it so that we can share photos and share knowledge about you know has this car has this hotel got suitable car parking for some supercars or is it secure enough and that sort of stuff yeah. so it, it's yeah, it'll be a bit like TripAdvisor, but with the knowledge of people trying to do a similar thing to you, not just Joe Public complaining about the, the fish. Are you 
Do you have the appetite to build another empire? The energy? Yes. Uh, Unfinished business? Things that you wish you'd done? I just, I just love the tech. It's, it's a bit like painting or pottery or something. I, I love creating stuff. That's my and, tummy, sorry. I shouldn't have that bacon sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exciting. If I could get another community built around that, that would be fabulous. Well, I think... I love working for Piston Heads. I mean, you'd gone by then, but I, you know, and it, it had matured into something that was probably a bit bigger. But I think that when I started there, the basic ethos was still the same. And it, I had a, a very happy year and a half, two years of of posting a weekly video that was basically embedded from my drive channel that went up and then we'd write words around it. And Stuart Forrest, who listens to these, I know, who's, who was he was a fantastic boss, Stuart. Um, I just felt we... we we'd hit on something and it, everything yeah. lit up for me. There was this massive audience of people that I was engaged with. I just thought it was a great platform. I hope you're aware of just how, how profound an effect you had on, <laughs> on that car community. You really did. You changed it overnight and and actually mostly for the better. I mean, I think you, you dealt a proper kick in the danglies to certain car <laughs> magazines, but they had it coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you very much, boss. And thank, thank you for you. coming to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you for making us laugh with some, some <laughs> I love the story about it getting shut down for a week. And the very best of luck with your ventures and, frankly, with the lack of traction in your F-type in these driving conditions. <laughs> so that's that's me, Chris Harris, at Harris Monkey, saying goodbye to at um, Petrol Ted, that's Dave Edmondson, and Edward Lovett, at Edward Lovett. And, and go and have a look at Collecting Cars, because we don't like plugging it too much, but Collecting Cars, as run by Edward, is strolling along nicely now. There's everything from fancy number plates to... Old cars to new kit. Cars. There's lots of kit. There's just yeah, pla- there is literally kit on there. Is there what what kit is on there? Edward? Well, kit. It was on the. Like, gum, it was a gumball. Let's have a quick look on the on, uh, app here. He's on the app at the moment. But there is there's some good tackle to have a look at there, yeah. and um, it's an increasingly, um, I think, there varied landscape. 1989 Pontiac Firebird kit. Night ride. Oh, as in that kit? I thought yeah, you meant as, as in, in stuff. As in kit. Yeah. Kit, there we that, go. That's not kit. Bid to two thousand. Got 13 days left. Get your bids in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it from us. Over and out. Bye bye. Later. Bye bye.
even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.